Okay, how's that doing? Yeah. Not only are we trying new speakers, on this piece of equipment, we've got a new microphone, actually. And uh, we're, it's actually an old microphone, but we're trying it out new with this. Uh, don't worry about the sound system today. Uh, it, it's, it's good. It's getting better. And um, I'm going to tell you two things about it, and then I'll, I'll move on, because you didn't come here to hear a report on the sound system. But I'll tell you these two things. First of all, it's like getting a new car, you know, and you get the new car, and you got to learn the brakes are a little more sensitive on a new car, and you got to learn where all the controls are, and it's frustrating at first, but you've got a new car. Okay, so that's number one. Number two, um, we were going to lose this the old sound system any day. It was a ticking time bomb. It was going to go. The, the, these guys have done an excellent job uh, keeping it going, but it just wasn't going to maintain. So we thought, we'll get out ahead of this, and I appreciate all the talented people who put this together. By the way, you ought to be, um, you know, always keep in mind one another. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to give you a list because it's everybody. Everybody does a little bit of something, but we have folks that, uh, who are talented in that area when it comes to the sound system and uh, keeping things going, people who keep the facilities going, people who just make it, it comfortable and nice here. And like uh, Kevin Heslin was saying this morning in the communion, it's all a butterfly effect, just one little tiny thing, and who knows how many people it affects. And so... Um, just be thanking each other. We, uh, it's kind of neat how much we get to work together on these sort of things. Um, those of you who invest and work and make the, uh, the, the building available and comfortable and friendly and inviting and welcoming, I want you to know that uh, the people who meet on Monday night for Celebrate Recovery are uh, very thankful for that. And... Um, you know, we protect the, we keep it anonymous. I mean, I don't, I don't mind telling you because somebody's, somebody's got to be a point of contact. And, uh, but we, we make it clear that we let other people know, hey, listen, you come here, it stays here, and that's their story to tell. But, but I do want to tell you just in general that uh, we've had folks showing up and we've had folks making decisions to take uh, a step towards recovery. There's been some real victories. And I want to just thank you because... You're part of that network of support. And um, I like the way one fellow put it this morning. He said, you know, in all of this, what I like to think is, uh, there you go, Satan. You just lost again. And, and I like that. I really do like that. And that's happening. And, and you need to know that. Um, well, uh, so kind of just in terms of finding an excuse to have a Bible study, I thought, let's look at the scriptures that are connected to these uh, 12 steps. And I think tonight we've got step four in the classic 12-step process. The first three steps have to do with how we see ourselves and how we see God. That uh, we admit that we're powerless. Uh, we entrust ourselves to God's care. The next uh, set of steps will have to do with what we actually need to start doing to come to grips with, with our sin, with our problem with sin. And, and there's, there's a theological structure behind this evening, even so you can see uh, in the 12 steps uh, the, the classic categories of theology. And this has to do with sin. And 
sin, as we've looked at Paul's letter in Romans and throughout history, uh, sin is where we are able to look at our fallenness, we're able to look at what's wrong, and we're able to name it as a problem in our relationship with God and others. Um, without the law, without God's word, uh, we can make anything at all that we, we want out of it. We could say, I don't have a problem, everybody else in the world has a problem. Uh, everyone in the world, every, and I would have no problems if everybody would listen to me. I mean, you can start saying those sort of things to yourself. But then when we start to recognize that we have to take responsibility for ourselves, we, we start to accept the fact that we are sinners and specifically what those sins are, and then we need to start working on it. Because just as we want other people to be responsible, we need to be responsible as well. So step four is a simple sentence. We made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. And it's interesting that it has two words, searching and fearless, to describe this inventory process. Now, anyone who has even a, um, a pop culture uh, familiarity with, with the 12 steps, you know that this is the part that they always show in movies and TV shows and Somebody has to do an inventory, and then they have to go around and apologize to everyone they've ever offended. And then that sets up, um, yeah, it sets up conflict for comedy and drama. It doesn't happen like that. This part is actually very internal. And uh, usually an individual works through this, goes through it with maybe uh, one or two accountability partners or just one-on-one -on -one with a sponsor. And, and you begin to, um, and, and this is actually the way it's done in Celebrate Recovery, it's you and God, and uh, I can tell you that when, when I did this, I went to uh, a faraway place uh, out in the hills, and I was alone all day. And it was searching, and it was difficult at times, but at the same time, it was rewarding because I knew that that was an appointment that I had, me and God. And, I, and now, I wasn't just out on a mountaintop somewhere, you know, meditating and saying my mantra and relaxing in a state of peace. I was reflecting and praying and reading God's word and going back over the things I had done in my life. And I was examining it, and I think with God's help, he was convicting me. Look, you need to change some things here. You need to do some things here. It's not that he brought me to a point of perfection, but I became aware. It was an inventory. And, and don't, you know, we, we shouldn't make anything big out of the word inventory. It's just like you do in business. It's just like you do in your household. Um, you hear that a storm's coming, and so you take inventory of what you have. Uh, everybody always runs down to Walmart, and they get uh, peanut butter, Pop-Tarts, and bread, and milk, and uh, now, I'll tell you this, uh, I do appreciate this about living on the Gulf Coast. Um, these tornadoes, I mean, you know, they're, they're bad enough. But when you're on the Gulf Coast, you get, you see these things coming for days. And they're on their way, and they're on their way, and you're wondering if it's going to hit you. And you have a long time to plan and prepare and not only are you going to get high winds, but you could get swamps. So you have to be prepared for everything. You definitely make inventories. 
And uh, Brian Robbins was telling me that Walmart has this system. They know exactly what to start sending to these places before the hurricanes hit. And, uh, I mean, they're better than FEMA. They, they know exactly what to do. And, and Pop-Tarts is one of the number one sellers because it's, uh, it's quick food. You don't have to cook it, and it'll uh, withstand a hurricane. So all the stores check their inventory, and then all the stores are given inventory. That's what we're doing in a moral sense. When we do a moral inventory, we ask ourselves fearlessly. The fearless part calls for honesty. We, be, we are ready to admit what we've done. We are ready to listen to God's critique and correction. The verse that's attached to this is uh, Lamentations chapter 3, verse 40. Let us examine our ways and test them, and let us return to the Lord. Well, that sounds very nice. This, of all the Bible studies uh, so far, is going to tell you, I think this takes us into unfamiliar territory. <clears throat> Lamentations may seem very unfamiliar to us. Um, and by the way, just, just I'm not going to you know, be harsh about this, but it is Lamentations, not Laminations. Laminations is, uh, that's, that's something they do in uh, you know, teacher workshops. And uh, Right, Trish? I saw Trisha. Yeah, that's, that's teacher workshops, laminations. And I, I've learned this, being married to a teacher, that laminating machines are, are the, uh, that's the, the coin of the realm. That's like, uh, you know, everybody's got, you, you, you buy time on the lamination machine. Uh, I, laminating's a big deal. Uh, if I was a smart guy, I would have got into that business a long time ago, but the, um, anyway, it's lamentations, which is a lament, and it's unfamiliar to us because uh, we're not used to using the word lament outside of church settings, uh, but in the biblical cultures, the lament was a, um, a well-understood way of expressing yourself. We're a little more stoic in the West, uh, we're a little more stoic in in America and in the South, uh, we think that you know, weeping and wailing is uh, perhaps, um, you know, um, unsophisticated or immature, and it's it's a shame that we think that. Um, I always love it when people apologize to me for crying. It's like, oh, I'm about to cry. Oh, okay, then cry. You know, well, I don't want to. Why not? What is it about us that, uh, you know, that, that makes us feel like we can't do that? I mean, there's things that happen that, 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 that I think that's the most appropriate expression. I remember that uh, when we were young people, we went Christmas caroling. And, you know, most people tolerate you when you're doing that, when you're young. You go to their door and you sing Jingle Bells and a few other songs, and they're like, oh, that's sweet, that's sweet, now get off my lawn. And uh, on they go. But there was one fellow that lived out there in the, the, the hills of the, you know, in the Boston Mountains. And he was from, um, he was from England, uh, where they have this rich tradition of the Christmas carols and Christmas time. And we came to the door, and, you know, we know that everybody's tolerating us. And we start singing, and he just starts weeping just tears start rolling out of his eyes. It took him back home. He remembered it. It was so fond. We were moved. We were astounded. 
but it was wonderful because we could share a very real moment. Um, I don't think there's anything so wrong with this if the response is genuine. And thank God that he has given us passages like Lamentations. And by the way, there are psalms of lament. So some of your psalms are uh, dirges. They're, they're, they're sad psalms. Now, here's the thing. We, we, we say all this, but some people understand what lamentations are really all about, especially if you're a fan of the blues. Because the blues is where you sing out the pain. That's where you name it. You can just, you just, you have to sing it. You have to say it. And the process of saying it and the promise and the, and the way of saying it tells you you're not alone, but you hurt. And you hurt so bad. That's okay. You just got to feel the hurt. And on and on it goes. And you just, you just name that. Well, that's what Lamentations is like, except in, in our biblical Lamentations, it takes us into our relationship with God. The reason why, and remember our criteria, we want to know why is this being said in the book that we're reading in Lamentations 3. It's because the, uh, the lamenter is, um, is lamenting a specific incident and that's the fall of Jerusalem there are five poems if you'll notice chapters 1 2 4 and 5 each have 22 verses now I've always said the the verses and the numbers aren't in there we put those in there that's not exactly the case with lamentations we put the numbers in there but whoever put the numbers in there was paying attention to the structure Chapters 1, 2, 4, and 5 are an acrostic. If you heard the sermon this morning, it was acrostic based on the word launch. Here the acrostic is A is 4, B is 4, C is 4. Of course, it's the Hebrew alphabet. But still, it's following a pattern. There's a pattern. It's a poem. It's a song. It has a structure. And you go through it and you can see. And so by the time you get to the fifth letter, you know the sixth letter is about to follow. And there are key words and that's probably because there's an, there's an oral tradition behind this, where someone is, is singing this out. Could be. Uh, it's after the Babylonian invasion and exile, where Jerusalem is destroyed, the city of David, the place where God's temple is on the earth, has been invaded and destroyed. Now, you need to understand, that's not a small thing. That, think of it like this. If you're an Israelite, if you're uh, one of the Judeans, actually, living in uh, the, uh, the nation of Judah, and uh, you know, all, all, the, all the other folks in the other tribes have, they've, they, they are apostate. They've gone astray a long time ago, okay? generations before you we're even on this earth. But here we are, and just imagine that we're living in the 6th century before Christ, and, and we're living in Judah, and we know this much about our nation. We know that God picks up his mail in Jerusalem. Yeah, he's God of all the earth, and he's God everywhere, but his address is right downtown in Jerusalem, number one temple drive, Jerusalem, 
Judea our home. That's what we know. And we know that the Holy of Holies, that presence, is in that temple. So yes, he's God of all the earth. We get that, we get that, we get that. He can go anywhere he pleases. We get that, we get that. But we also know that he has made his dwelling place right there. Now, if God has set up his address right there, you're going to feel pretty safe. You're going to feel pretty good about that. I mean, who is going to dare to do a home invasion on God? You know, um, you know, it's um, y- y'all know that joke about the about the parrot. The robber goes into the house, and um, you know he's he's poking around. No one's there, but this parrot. This parrot is saying, "Jesus is going to get you," and and and. Robert's poking around. He's like, dumb parrot, doesn't know what he's doing. Jesus is going to get you. And then he's like, that's, that's, that's crazy. This isn't. And then the parrot goes, the Doberman's name is Jesus. Sick him, Jesus. You know, and then uh, out comes the Doberman. Uh, well, that's the way it would be if you're, in, I know, it's a terrible joke. It's really, it's really dumb. Anyway, the, but, but the point is, imagine how safe you are with God there. And, you, and it's real. It's tangible. And... No one's going to invade. Remember, that, you know, that, that Ark of the Covenant, the one that they would carry before them into battle and it would defeat enemies, it's right there in Jerusalem, in the temple. So what do you do when the Babylonians come in and destroy that? Not only do you have the problem of destruction, now you've got a theological crisis because you have to ask yourself, was, is their God more powerful? Uh, did God get de- did God get defeated, or did God abandon us? And either one of those is a problem. Now, let me say this, just as an aside: Ezekiel answers the question of what was going on because Ezekiel saw the wheel. That's not a UFO. That's God's chariot. And the message to Ezekiel is: Oh, when the Babylonians came calling. I wasn't to home. I was out in my chariot going around the earth because I'm going to go judge the nation. That's the message that Ezekiel gets. And God's got this living chariot that's a war wagon that he can go anywhere he wants. He's not confined to a box. Okay, but that's Ezekiel. In Lamentations, it's after the fact. Jerusalem's been destroyed. We've lost the temple. We've lost the king. We've lost the nation. Our people have been taken into exile. The great city is in ruins. This is, um, you know, there's some sense, if you can remember how we felt uh, almost uh, 17 years ago on on 9-11. That's very similar to what, you know, our nation had been attacked. But here, it's absolute destruction. Or at least enough that we're not going to recover. The Babylonians won. Jeremiah gets credit for Lamentations. Uh, there's a reason for that because Jeremiah is said to lament over King Josiah, um, but there's no lament for King Josiah in here. There's no strong evidence that this is Jeremiah, but it doesn't matter. The, all that matters is that this is the voice of someone who laments over the fall of Jerusalem. And then there's five poems, five songs, and they go like this. The first one, and there's images in these, there's images. 
The first one is an image of Jerusalem as a weeping widow. Um, remember the place of widows in that culture, in that society. There's no one there for them. Remember the stories of Ruth and Ruth and Naomi and uh, the stories of uh, Judah and Tamar. Um, that that if, if you're a widow, you have no one to take care for you. You've got to find the next male relative. Um, it's, uh, you, you've got to find somebody to take care of you because a woman's status in that society, it's, it's not good without a man by her side. If that doesn't sit well with you, I didn't create history. It's just the way it is. I'm not saying it's okay. I'm saying that it's just the way it is. And here now, that image is the one that's attached to Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem, once so full of people, is now deserted. She who was once great among the nations now sits alone like a widow. Once the queen of all the earth, she is now a slave. She sobs through the night, tears stream down her cheeks. Among all her lovers, there is no one left to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her and become her enemies. It's a sad song. And here's the thing. We do not dare try to clean lamentations up. You don't take a sad song and try to make it happy. I mean, I think um, the Beatles tried to do that, and you know, it was a disaster. And so the, uh, you just don't do that. You let it be a sad song because that's what it is. It's expressing the situation. Chapter 1 goes on and on about the state of Jerusalem. She's broken. Uh, she is, uh, there's no one there to comfort her. She's alone. She's weeping, there's sadness. And it gives voice, it puts a voice inside Jerusalem and, and, uh, and Im- you know, imagines Jerusalem as a-, a woman crying. Number two makes a point that the sins of the nation and the wrath of God are what are at work here. So chapter two says, uh, the Lord in his anger has cast a dark shadow over beautiful Jerusalem. You know, okay, we can stop and we can say, well, well wait, what, what, what did Jerusalem ever do to God? I mean, God's got, well, God has named it through the prophets. Um, Jerusalem did him wrong. Well, she, she was special, and she did him wrong. Um, she embarrassed God. She cheated on God. There's a lot of, of painful, serious stuff that's named in the prophets. Uh, and, and, and this is the way that, uh, that God names it. Uh, look at verse 8 in chapter 2. The Lord was determined to destroy the walls of beautiful Jerusalem. He made careful plans for their destruction and then did what he had planned. And of course you read this and it's like, what is wrong with God? You know, I mean, this is, this is terrible. I mean, but keep in mind, this is a song. This is a song. We're trying to find some way of understanding and describing what has happened. And so the way we do it is we describe it as um, God, as the one who's paying back Jerusalem for the wrong that she has done to him. Uh, is that the way it really truly was in heaven? I don't know. 
God's not like us. He's not like you and I. But remember, this is not the word of the Lord through the prophet. This is not, thus saith the Lord. This is the voice of someone who's seen this, someone who's experienced this, and this, this preacher, this lamenter, this singer is trying to give expression to it, and it's, it's valid and it's legitimate to use poetry. Same way with the Psalms. The Psalms express a feeling. They express an attitude. They express a state. If someone is joyous, they say, come, let's go, let's rejoice. Uh, uh, shout to the Lord. Uh, let us go now to the, to the temple of the Lord. Notice that Psalms are not, here's a word from God to the people, the way you read in the prophets. Psalms are just like we do in worship. We're speaking to one another. Here's the voice of the psalmist saying, lift up your voice and sing. But there are also psalms that speak to us in times of despair. Now, they will speak to God in some instances. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's Psalm 22. Wait a second, you mean you can say that to God? Have you ever felt that way? Maybe you haven't, and that's okay. Jesus felt that way, and he uses that song to express it. He uses that song to name it. He doesn't even use his own language. He uses the language of the psalm. The lament is original work. Because the situation is so unique, the destruction of Jerusalem, that it has to be named in a very particular way, something has changed. Jerusalem, who thought we were, the, we were the prototype. We were supposed to be the shining nation on the hill and show everybody what it was like to be God's people. And it, it went wrong. And so you have to follow all five acts of the whole show. You have to follow not just each song and each particular verse, but you have to get the whole picture. So when we get into the second movement... We're being told, okay, what was happening here is we sinned against God, and God then did something about that. He had to respond to those sins. Uh, and it's, it's um, look at verse 13. What can I say about you? Who has ever seen such sorrow? O daughter of Jerusalem, to what can I compare your anguish? O virgin daughter of Zion, how can I comfort you? For your wound is as deep as the sea. Who can heal you? Now, you might think that that's the place for the Bible answer, you know, well, Jesus, God. No, this is a question that just hangs in space. It means, it's like saying, this is a tough one. Who can heal you? You've been hurt. Naming the hurt. That's what they're doing. Well, um, and, and then we're told that the, the quick and easy uh, slap-happy prophets there in 14, your prophets have said so many foolish things, false to the core. They did not save you from exile by pointing out your sins. Instead, they painted false pictures, filling you with false hope. Now we start to see there's a recognition of the sin. The point in singing this in chapter 2 is so that we will be able to name the sin. Let's go back. Let's do the inventory. Let's look. Okay, all this happened because, I mean, the project fell apart. Us being the shining nation fell apart because we weren't the shining nation. 
We had sinned. We, we, uh, we were broken. In some ways, the, the lamenter is saying we, we got what we deserved. Okay, so tough language, real language is being used in this. In three, three is unique. There's not 22 verses. Three is sort of the, um, the ray of light in the midst of all this darkness. And I'm not going it's to, not, it's not just, uh, uh, how, how does the song go? Uh, uh, moonbeams and rainbows and sunshine from heaven. I can't remember those songs, but, you know, uh, blue skies and rainbows. That's not what it is. It's, it's much deeper than that. And in fact, one of the verses becomes very familiar to us because we've made songs out of it. And, and uh, verse 22, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Or the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Think about it. That statement is being made in the midst of the destruction of Jerusalem. That... In the midst of the, the, you know, the, the smoking pit that Jerusalem has become and the pain and the, the, the statements like, who can heal you? You've been hurt. There's still a, a line that says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Even in this, even in the anger, even in the wrath, his steadfast love, his, his faithfulness does not end. His mercies never come to an end. So great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who depend on him. We'll get back to that in a second. The way it rounds out, because chapter 3 is where we find our verse uh, uh, tonight, uh, verse 40. In 4, remember that mailing address of God. In, in four, it's a lament specifically that um, uh, the temple and the, uh, the throne, those have been lost. Uh, look at verse 12, 412. Not a king in all the earth, no one in all the world would have believed that an enemy could march through the gates of Jerusalem. Why? Because the Ark of the Covenant is there. Yet, it's happened. And now, in chapter 4 in this fourth song the singer knows why it's happened because of the sins of her prophets and the sins of her priests who defiled the city by shedding innocent blood Mm -hmm. the false prophets the false priests they were complicit in this their system their system of the temple and their system of Twisting God's word had created a situation where the people were, were going astray. It was, it was systemic. Um, they wandered blindly through the streets and so defiled by blood that no one dared touch them. Okay. Uh, and you know, again, there's, there's more. There's a lot here that, that we could just keep going in a Bible study. Um, now, in, at the end of, of song number four... Three has affected it, the word of hope. So that you get to 422, O beautiful Jerusalem. Now see, Jerusalem's called beautiful now. O beautiful Jerusalem, your punishment will end and you will soon return from exile. But Edom, your punishment is just beginning. Soon your many sins will be exposed. Okay, what's going on there? Well, um, Edom's, uh, I'm going to make it real light. Edom is... um, 
Edom's gloating in the fact that Jerusalem's just been punished. If uh, any of you are parents had more than one kid, you know that uh, sometimes when you have to uh, meet out a little correction and discipline on one kid, it always seems like the other kids are too eager to help you, you know. Uh, we always said we had a third parent syndrome where we would be explaining things to Ethan, and we didn't have to this, this with Wyatt, you know, but we would be explaining things to Ethan, and then Wyatt would say, yeah, yeah, that's just what I've been telling you. Thank you, third parent. We don't need your help. We've got this, so you keep to yourself. Edom and Jerusalem are related. Edom is Esau. They're, they're connected. They're family. So whenever God's talking about Edom, um, that's the kinfolk. And now all of a sudden they're seeing this as their opportunity. Hey, you know, things have gone bad for Jerusalem. It's good for us. The singer is saying, you better watch out. This is not your time. Okay. Chapter 5, song number 5, is, is, is a song about repentance and recovery. Uh, here, again, it's directed to the Lord. Lord, says 5.1. And it's calling upon the name of the Lord. Lord, not just Lord, but his name. Lord, Yahweh, remember what has happened to us. See how we have been disgraced. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our home to foreigners. We're orphaned and fatherless. Our mothers are widowed. <clears throat> when, when you have a problem... They know this. You go to God. He defends the cause of the weak. He, he, they, they, they were put into exile because they took advantage of the weak, of the orphan. They took advantage of the, uh, the ones who were vulnerable. Now they've become the vulnerable. So now they turn to God and they say, you're the one that rescues us. So rescue us. This is their appeal to God. Uh, at the end of 521, restore us, O Lord, bring us back to you again. Give us back the joys we once had. Or have you utterly rejected us? Are you angry with us still? Wow, that's, a, that's, a, that's an impressive way to end the song. They don't have their answer yet. So they're just going to keep singing it. And that's how it ends. That's how the drama ends. Are you still angry with us? But they're seeking a relationship. Okay, let's roll back to three. And in three, we have this statement, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. You say, God's love? Yeah. I mean, they're there to still sing. So they know that much. They say, okay, we're not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I'll wait for him. So here's that voice of hope that tomorrow's a new day, you know, God can change. Just as our fortunes changed when, uh, when God sent the punishment that we deserve, that we earned, he can also send his mercy. So you have that in 22, 23, and 24. And then here's our text. So let us examine our ways and test them. Let us return to the Lord. Let's lift up our hearts and our hands to God in heaven and say, we have sinned and rebelled and you have not forgiven. This is a public call to repentance. It's as if he's saying, let's all get down on our knees and pray. We need to ask God back into uh, you know, our nation, back into uh, our lives. Here, he's, he's the, the lamenter, the singer, 
And it's right there in the core of the song is saying, so let's examine our ways. Let's do that inventory. Let's test them. Let's return to the Lord. And, and when we lift up our hands, it's, it's a worship of lament. I can't remember how many worships of lament I, I can count on one hand that I've been involved in. Uh, and again, it's because it's just not something we're used to. Um, there are seasons where bad things happen and a community feels the pain. And sometimes you just have to name it. And what you do is you do just like, I mean, again, whoever penned this lament, Jeremiah or Baruch or somebody else, they have taught us how to do this. You name the pain, you name and confess your hope in God, and then you appeal to God with repentance and appeal for restoration. So because of that, you, know, you, can, you can do this and examine our ways and test them and return to the Lord because you're convinced, you roll back about 20 verses, that the Lord is good to those whose hope in his Him, to the one who seeks him. That statement has to be made about the Lord. Even though we've named his wrath, even though we've named his anger. And if that seems strange, it's because for them, they have seen the, the, the pain and suffering. God is not a fuzzy Santa who is just filled with love and, and, and everything's wonderful. He is full of love, but that means something much deeper. I mean, th these are deep waters. I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not, you know, there, there's no two ways about it. So you, you make that statement, even in the midst of what's going on, that the Lord is good. And then you can say, so let's examine our ways and let's return to him. Which is very much like this statement in the 12-step process, making a fearless moral inventory of ourselves. I can tell you this, that as a preacher, you know, my, my hope is to be a preacher of the gospel, the good news. I don't believe that the gospel is a formula that, hey, here's the gospel. You do this, God does this, everything's fine, we're all good. Go and you know, sort it out. It's got to be good. There's got to be something good about it, and there's got to be a possibility that is new and unique. Otherwise, we're doing like those false prophets, and we're just selling people a, um, a fire insurance for the end of time. If, if anybody who preaches this, or if any of us in telling our friends is going to have any integrity, then we need to be able to say to our friends who are convinced, to our family, or the people we love, who are convinced that God ha is angry with them. We need to be able to say, even if he is angry with you, even if he is calling you to repentance, he is still good. And you can rely on that goodness. What you should not do is just go on about your way and assume that you are fated to destruction. Examine your ways. Seek the Lord. Seek his mercy. And then you repent. You turn. And you allow him to make the changes that he wants to make in your life. That's the gospel.
So that's all we got here on this uh, Lamentations, and uh, we're going to sing this song, and if you need to partake of the communion, that's in room 100 tonight. Let's stand, let's sing, and then we'll be dismissed in prayer.